when CYG is making money and we all live on the same compound, mm. the house that CYG bought, <laughs> we can do these. Slash, we just gift each other insane, like Oprah level things all the time. In a timely manner. You just come home to a new cashmere throw. <laughs> oh my God. This is so good. Okay. All right. All right. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Aminatu So, and for some reason I have the giggles. This is bad. I mean, I thought you were you were not drinking wine right now. I'm not. Um, I went to get a glass of wine and instead I got distracted by this. Uh, somebody left this in my freezer. This Haagen-Dazs zesty lemon sorbet. <laughs> Whoever you are that left this in my house, God bless you. It is hitting all the spots. Oh man, I am definitely not having a dry slash sober slash detox January. I feel like I did not I did not tox enough in December. I'm like, I'm still toxing. No shade, but I've been on a very healthy kick recently, so I don't feel the need to detox or January or any of that stuff because my body is a temple right now. I mean, preach. Zesty lemon. <laughs> Zesty lemon. Call your girlfriend. It's time you had the talk. Give your reasons. Say it's not her fault. I know what we should talk about. It's a new year. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year. Happy 2K16. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm still writing 2012 on my checks. So as far as I'm concerned, like the years have been slow to transition. Oh, man. Are you, did you make a resolution? You know, so I feel like I'm about to go on a classic Amina rant. Here's my feeling. I mean, I I was baiting you, I confess. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my feeling about resolutions. I think that people who announce to everybody how they're trying to be a better person are just basically dooming themselves to fail. I think that you should keep your resolutions private to yourself and you should work hard on them. And once you have milestones, you can share. You're like, do or do not. There is no resolution. <laughs> yes. I'm like, just do or do not. Also, like people are always the same. They're like, I will go to the gym more. I'm like, then shut the fuck up and go to the gym. Like, or I think that if you want to do something that you've like genuinely never done before, like, oh, I want to learn piano or I want to learn how to snowboard or whatever. That's really cool. Come back to us when you like know how to do those things. Or when you're a few weeks deep in lessons or something. Yes, I'm way more excited about like, here's what I have learned than like, I am going to do a thing. I also think that there are some people who need external accountability and I don't hate on them asking for it. Just saying. Yeah, but they're not really asking for accountability. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. Just like wasting our time. I don't know. I feel like then you should get a personal board of directors that can help you with that. I mean, truth. Okay, so like tweeting your resolution or whatever, who cares? But like telling someone who is your roommate, hey, will you remind me? Slash, do you want to be my buddy to learn a thing? That is so thoughtful and like, great. Of course, you're not going to fail if that's what you're doing. (laughs) stop <laughs> yes of course like that's the way to go i will tell you though what i did one thing for the first time in 2015 that i had never done before and oh my god so i took snowboarding lessons are you bruised everywhere i have never fallen and cried so much in my life is that what the 2012 it, hit booty down is about <laughs> oh my 100 <laughs> also the best the best thing is that when i booked this lesson on the phone 
I thought that like the stoner kid on the other side was like trying to upsell me. He was like, you probably want a private lesson. Cause I was already asking too many questions. You know, he was trying to save your like, ego. <laughs> yeah. I was like, am I, I'm like, am I going to fall? I was like, yeah. And then he, he was like, do, he was like, do you ski or not? And I was like, well, I ski. And he was like, well, he's like, those habits are going to be harder to unlearn. So <laughs> to a private lesson, the private lesson was like so clutch because it was just me and like this stoner snowboard instructor who like, we are buddies now. There's also something, you know, about just like being older and not being like a good risk taker. It's like every time you fall, you just see your whole life flash in front of you. Oh man, Shonda Rhimes wrote a whole book about this. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's so serious. There's nothing funnier, honestly, to me than trying to get off of the ski lift on snowboards. <laughs> like, so you just have to like hurl your body in like an L shape off of it. That's what I imagine. All you have to do is pray. <laughs> You know I don't engage in any sports that involve me moving at high speeds, like, only controlled by my own body. So, like, I don't ski or snowboard. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did you tell me one time about bicycling? You were like, you know, I, you know I'm not interested in personal transportation. <laughs> it's so true. I am not. I'm, the only personal transportation I am into is walking or, like, jogging, maybe occasionally. Unicycle, bicycle, skateboard, hover. Okay, I would try a hoverboard if if the situation presented itself. Yeah, we need we need somebody who works at a hoverboard company to holler at us like that. And then we need fire okay. retardant suits. <laughs> exactly. Okay, but here's my last thing I'm going to say about winter sports. I don't say it to be like a proud person. It's just that like I went to private school, so this is like the weird shit that's in your life. Skiing. Yes, like weirdo, like badminton and skiing and, you know, like sailing. My parents gave me like white bougie sports. Thank you for the gift of education. Do you also know how to sail? Yeah, obviously. See, yeah, this is the thing. No Midwest skills are relevant, like among rich people. My cheese ball making skills, <laughs> my, my, <laughs> I don't know, my ability to survive high humidity. Um. Yeah, but that's amazing. But you know, the best part about all of this stuff, though, when you're a black person is that like white people always give you the like, what are you doing here? Look. Oh, my God. And, like, it makes me so happy. It makes me like beyond happy every single time where I'm just like, right, you're I'm like, I'm here excuse- owning your slope. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm about to ski circles around this bitch. Oh my god, let's talk about militias. <laughs> and I am so excited about these, like, fucking militias in Oregon. Because the internet is my favorite place. What are they calling them on Twitter? Vani- Yalkada? Vanilla Isis? <laughs> oh man, they just want to live under Shania law. I'm just like, this is amazing. <laughs> I know. Also, I mean, very relevant to our interests, their their call for snacks backup. They put out a Facebook message that's like, hey, if you have supplies or snacks or anything that might be useful to this stand, then please send them to the address above. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I know. The revolution must be like well fed. Take care of yourself. Yeah. And then somebody on the internet put up a picture of the like, you know, the don't thread on me snack. Yeah. But it said like, please send snacks. <laughs> And I lost my shit, like, 100%. First of all, you would not catch me dead at a militia event without, like, one week's worth of snacks. Who are these people? You don't catch me anywhere without one week of snacks. It's like, I go to the grocery store and have snacks on my person when I'm going to buy snacks. (laughs) I know. I fly with, like, bomb sandwiches I made at home. I'm hypoglycemic. We don't fuck around. (laughs) I'm emotionally hypoglycemic. (laughs) (laughs) 
died and made you a well-regulated militia? You know, it's always like one guy with a gun and he thinks he knows what's up. Yeah, I mean, I think that this particular guy with a gun thinks he has, like, a family legacy to protect slash, like, permission to act like a total fucking fool with his ammunition. Yeah, you know the other thing that's always so funny to me about all these people is that they, like, wail against the government, but all they're doing is fucking taking advantage of the government all of the time. Total resources suck. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you know who's not fucking grazing their cows on federal land for free? Me. I pay my taxes. I don't have time for this. I know. It's true. Uh, it's true. Way to, like, impulse organize. Bring snacks next time. Guys. Also, the fact... Okay, I, I feel this has been less mocked on the internet, but their website is www.rogueinfidel.com. <laughs> <laughs> At least tell us what you're about. That's just like... Um, and they're about a strict interpretation of Shania Law. <laughs> Damn, I feel like a woman, right? Like, oh, oh my God. I mean, let me tell you, if this were like an all-lady militia, there would be snacks, there would be organization, shit would be provided for. I guess that's why, like, you would never have a lady militia like this because there is not that level of entitlement. Yeah, you also wouldn't have a lady militia like this because we are already inside the government, like, doing the best <laughs> work we can be doing. You know, the, the thing about it, actually, that I kind of love about this, though, is that I know that you, like me, have read Under the Banner of Heaven Mm -hmm. is that there's like a strong Mormon thread, right, among the Oregon standoff. Early Mormon history is just like one conflict after the other with the government every single time. All these homies are Mormons again. Yeah, Under the Banner of Heaven is 100% worth a read for anyone who cares about former cults that are sort of becoming due to size and acceptance like a mainstream mainstream religions religions, right like that transition is so interesting and then and then you have people like the folks at rogueinfidel.com to remind us (laughs) that that (laughs) there is still this culty outlaw i don't even know what like western land use issues for sure like yeah it's like the minute somebody starts talking to me about land use i'm just like are you a mormon is your name captain moroni (laughs) what's going on here (laughs) what's the angel called Moroni or Moroni my bad I I actually am not 100% sure how to pronounce it in a true like nerdy kid move I think I've only read it and never heard it said I know I want to say that in documentaries I've heard it pronounced Moroni but I like refuse to believe that's what it is besides under the banner of heaven I'm very ignorant about Mormon things yeah I mean well I have my my grandmother is from a small town in Iowa that is across the river from a town called Nauvoo Illinois which is where Joseph Smith was killed. And so it's become like a... Girl, I read the book. I know where Nauvoo is. I mean, just explaining for the listeners at home who no, might not know true, their Midwest geography. Listen, I'm just acting out because I miss oh. you. Tell me. <laughs> anyway, so they sort of in, in the past 15 years have resettled it as Mormon landmark and vacation town. And every summer they do a play about the life of Joseph Smith. And my grandmother, who is into the theater, but like short on options in rural Iowa, goes every year (laughs) and is like, it's a good play. (laughs) So I don't know. I haven't been back in a really long time, but I feel like that's my local interaction. I'm putting this on the call your girlfriend bucket. Oh my God. We are are going to this place. Oh my God. Grandma Jules would totally shuttle us there. She probably has tickets already for the summer 2016 one. Okay. Talk to grandma Jules. I want to talk to her about that. And then maybe she'll have like something to say about, um, militia members taking over federal government. She would say, Oh God, that's what she would say (laughs) in that exact tone. And then also, you know, that is a woman who always has a freezer full of snacks. Like there's no excuse. 
What else is going on? Okay, so one of the militia ringleader bros was on Megan Kelly's show, which is not all that notable. She was okay. She was wearing a pretty good turtleneck. I think you mean the Kelly file. I mean, yes. I, I don't know. Do we have to use like the proper? <laughs> sure, the Kelly file. I'm just saying that sometimes I watch it. Listen, okay, so. Megan Kelly did uh, did an interview where she was sort of humiliating these dudes because they did not want to talk about what they actually stand for on television, um, and it, this plus the the Vanity Fair profile just brings up for me how conflicted I am of like kind of wanting to like her but also completely hating her. But anyway, you know, Megan with a Y problems. I do not feel conflicted. <laughs> you about Megan you Kelly. you just have a dislike. I have a dislike. Well, you know what? I'm going to let you explain the article, but I'll tell you that my dislike of Megan Kelly, Megan with a Y, is that she's op- she's just an opportunistic person. For sure. You know, whenever I see people do like cool feminist things or whatever, but when I'm reminded that they're really only doing them for themselves, I'm not impressed by that. Well, I don't think she's like doing cool feminist things in a sense of like she's an activist person who's like good for women. I don't know. I guess I like seeing women ask hard questions and defend themselves, which is not to say that her questions are particularly like, you know. I know, but that's what women on the right who like think that like women on the left are bots a lot of times do. So like, that's why it's not surprising. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's completely cut from a mold of like, I'm not a feminist. I just an independent woman who is a Republican, blah, 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 blah. But there is this amazing tidbit in that profile in which uh, Ivanka's dad, who we have discussed at length on this podcast, um, <laughs> apparently, he, apparently he would regularly call to give her compliments and would, quote, send me press clippings about her, about Megyn Kelly, and he would just sign them Donald Trump. Is that not the fucking weirdest thing? Like, he would cut out articles about her and send them to her signed Donald Trump. That's so funny. So you know he does that to a lot of reporters, right? But I find that it's like a little creepy that he does that to her specifically. I did not know <laughs> that he did that to a lot of reporters. Yeah, no, this is like kind of his MO. I'm keeping an eye out on all of you people <laughs> like thing. And his handwriting is like very nice. Whenever the reporters tweet it, I always laugh so oh hard. My God. Like this is so funny. I mean, okay, so now I feel a little silly that I did not know that the Donald is always trying to woo. Oh, you feel silly that you're not, like, obsessed with a Donald like me in an unhealthy way? But, like, can you imagine how creepy it would be to, like, open a letter and, like, you open an envelope and just imagine her experience or any reporter's experience and you pull out an article, just something you've written or a thing about you, and there's no other context except for Donald Trump signed at the bottom. It's, like, a weird... Not my grandmother, who is wonderful, but like a weird grandmother, like keeping tabs. I don't know how to tell you this. I'm going to start doing this about all your Oh my God. (laughs) So creepy. Yeah. So, but there's like some stuff in the article that like super rubbed me the wrong way, right? Like the way that like she talks about some of the stuff that she's saying is like too sophisticated for contemporary feminism or whatever. Right, which is laughable. And I, which is so laughable. I'm just so over all these idiot women who always talk about like being kicked out of feminism. I'm just like, show me your dismissal papers. Like who kicked you out? Where was your membership card? There's always these like crazy a straw man. And then you just think about like all these people who just think that like feminism is a monolith, right? And they And they don't know that like the movement of feminism is like literally made of cacophony and dissent. Right, like a large like, percentage how- of feminists like actively hate each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I'm like, I'm sorry that you're a dummy and you didn't know this. And then they, you know, then they say these like things to make themselves come across smart. 
that really always I guess my whole thing about it is not that I see her as someone I admire or as some kind of like potential ally or any of that I guess I'm just interested in women with power full stop and that that extends to like women whose views I find reprehensible I don't know I guess I'm just like interested in watching women maneuver especially in like a space like Fox News which is like what the what the fuck like I'm interested in how they do it you know what I mean yeah, the my like thing that always stands out to me about Megan Kelly, um, God, Megan with a Y, it's so hard for me. <laughs> she went on this like three month maternity leave a couple of years yes, ago. Yes, one of her kids is named I, Thatcher, as in I mean, what obviously. The hell? Yeah. Anyway, go on. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's like she went on maternity leave and came back, and then some like radio host called maternity leave a racket. And Megan Kelly like went off. Right, on I remember him. that. She just like completely went off on him, right? And everybody was like so excited. They were like, Megan gets it and blah, blah, blah. And then you're just like, no, actually, Megan Kelly is a huge hypocrite. She's only supports maternity leave for herself, not for. Right. Her and you best believe if she didn't have a uterus herself, she would not give two fucks about. Yeah. No. Exactly. But at the same time, you know, it's just like the kind of thing that makes you like kind of interrogate what kind of woman does it take to like do well? If oh, exactly. I know everyone says millennials are the snake people, but like real talk, like what is <laughs> like, what are you doing? Snake person? How are you getting in there? And like, what are, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in all of that. And the profile has like a little bit of that, like essentially like, how do you rise to prominence while being in like the tiniest, not even offensive ways, contrarian at a place like that, which like yeah. it or not is a powerful platform. Yeah. You know, I think that for me to like wrap this conversation together, I'm fascinated by Megyn Kelly in the sense that like I fucking love female blowhards, <laughs> yeah. you know, because there's just there are just not a lot of them. She's like our top lady blowhard. And I love it when she just like piles on people, even though I like don't agree with her politically on anything. I appreciate that she gets to. Exist. Oh, my God. Tangent related to lady blowhard. So there is a, a profile of Leslie Jones in The New Yorker this week. Oh, uh, it's so um, good. Oh but my there God, is this part so where she's at a comedy club with Larry Wilmore and Ann Coulter comes up to their table, which is one of those things where, like, I'm like, oh, my God, how did this even happen? And Larry Wilmore is, like, kind of polite and whatever. And Leslie Jones just, like, shuts it down, is, what is like, what are you doing here? God, I need, hang on, I'm going to find the exact. So Leslie Jones leans across the table and stage whispers, what the fuck is this frightening bitch doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love black women. I mean, yeah, this profile is so great and she is like beyond wonderful. And I just, I just love that. It's like, you know, I don't, I certainly, when in the similar situation, I would totally Larry Wilmore and just kind of be like, hi, and then like talk shit after she walked away. Yeah, no, Leslie Jones like suffers no fools. You know, the interesting thing about that profile is that it makes Lorne Michaels come off like so, so, so. Oh my God, I know. It's so weird. (laughs) Chris Rock is like, he's a visionary. well, so Lord, my, so if you have noticed in The New Yorker, that's where he plants all of his like great talent stories. People at SNL do not give access for a ton of stuff, but they always go to The New Yorker, which is so funny to me. But so obviously, like, this is part of his, like, Lord Michaels is, like, good with women arc. And I was like, this is so fascinating. Just imagine if you, like, hired what hiring, like, a talented Black woman can do for your reputation, right? And then you, like, let everybody know about it. Mm. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I'm like 1% happy with slash okay with Lauren Michaels and like 99% 
Leslie Jones forever and ever and ever. Uh, I love Leslie Jones. Also, I just love the tagline of that article. It didn't say something like, um, like funny forever and finally famous or something like that. And I was like, yes. Thank yeah, you. it's always funny, finally famous. Yes, like she has just been around forever and she's so hilarious. I yeah. love her. So maybe whatever. Kind of tangential, but like it that's exactly what it reminded me of. I'm just like, would I have the guts to do that? And I am not sure that I would. Oh my god. That I'm gonna pray for you that you become more and more the lady blueheart. Listen, in ten years day. I might be able to sort of like tap some of the Leslie Jones like straight blowhard. Who do you think would like in in our current media climate, could be around you that you would say, "What is this frightening bitch doing?" Here? Well, oh, that's a good question. I'm like, who would I say? So that someone because that is amazing. Who point. is a stranger who I've never met before, but who I think is like full of shit. That's what you mean. Yeah, that like would just like walk up to your table and you would just be like, "Nah." Mm, I have to think about that. I feel like it's Ann Coulter for sure. I mean, that's a good one, right? Like, if you wouldn't say it about her, who would you say it about? Yeah, I know. Except that, like, you know, I have a personal Ann Coulter story, and she was very nice to me. So. You will more out on it. <laughs> no, I didn't will more out on it. I told her she was a crazy person. You did? What did she say? I, I was in college, and she came to speak, and I was, like, on the speaker committee or whatever that brought her. And uh, she was so nice to me. Also, her drink of choice was... Um, Vanilla Dr. Pepper, oh my god. which is disgusting. Oh my god, I'm like I'm going weak in the <laughs> knees at this detail. You, you're hearing it here and call her girlfriend. <laughs> and, you know, like, and she, she's like, no, she's like asking everybody what's up with them, super friendly or whatever. And then this frightening bitch gets on stage and like proceeds to offend everyone <laughs> in the audience. And then comes out. And you know, the thing that that taught me, honestly, everybody is a fucking performer. Right. She does not believe what she says, but she gets paid a ton of money to like have this disgusting persona. And so she has to buy into it. Wow. And we're full circle back to Megan Kelly. I know. Megan with a Y. Wishing you and Thatcher and the rest of the kids. Yardley. One of them is named Yardley. Um, speaking of ridiculous names, did you hear the story of the black woman's story about how she got revenge on her white coworker who refused to learn her name because I quote, all hood black girl names sound the same. This is so good. I don't even want to quote it wrong. So it's this woman is like, did I ever tell you the, the story of how I fucked with my white coworker out of spite? And she's like, let's go. So she like basically like gets a promotion and a new seat at work. She works at a really white company, but she sits next to like one, the like one black woman because it's like she feels safe in this new area. But then it turns out the guy across from her is this like white dude and she calls him the mayonnaise monster, (laughs) which like kills me. She like, he comes to his seat and introduces himself as Evan. He asks my name and she's like, mind you, my new desk has my name on it. He looks at my name and goes like, what the F does this say? She's like, he fakes confusion and says LaQuisha. And which is like so annoying. She's like, it's my full name. It's not my nickname. So I give him a break and I sound out. She like sounds out her name for him. Her name is LaTora. And she like sounds which out. Which is not difficult. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. It's like anytime like a white person tells you that your name is difficult, it's like literally all vowels. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? People? Mm. Then the guy looks at her and he's like, I won't even try. He's like, all those names sound the same. 
But so anyway, so she like just goes through all of this crap because he like actually tells her, he's like, those hood black girl names, they all sound the same, so I refuse to try. And then he laughs. So she just like inhales and then she's like, remember his name is Mm -hmm. Evan? And she goes, I completely get it, (laughs) Tom. And smile as innocently as possible. It gets to the point where other people start doing it as well. Not only is it hilarious, but he's clearly mad as fuck about it. I mean, to his face, everywhere, to other coworkers. Hi, Jake. One line is like, hi, Jake. Another is like, Billy asked me to get this to you. CC, Josh. (laughs) Finally, he comes to my desk and asks to speak to me. He pronounces my name right this time. This time, I say, sure, Sam. What can I do Uh. for you? He says, he sighs and says, I get it, okay? I'm sorry. Please just stop. She goes, finally, I look at him and say, you know what, Steve? I'll give it a try. I can't promise anything. White names don't come naturally. Oh, hero. Early contender, like winner of the year. I laughed so hard. I love it. And so some, like, really good news. We, and by we, I mean all of our listeners, because clearly we did nothing, helped Zana Africa raise, like, $30,000 over the holidays. Oh, my God. That is so many period supplies for so many girls. Seriously. We're keeping, like, 3,000 Kenyan girls in, like, period supplies and, like, menstrual health. That's amazing. Maybe it's the wine. I'm feeling really, I'm feeling really emotional about this right now. Oh, I got, like, fully emotional. Giving money to things I care about or whatever, like, comes really easy to me. And I feel like I've been kind of in that same routine of just, like, end-of-year giving and stuff like that. But this is the first time, honestly, that I I felt, like, a little high and, like, really, really good deep down about, like, giving money to something. So that was cool. Right. And, like, also that everyone who listens to this actually followed through and gave money and wasn't just like, oh, that's a thing I should do is is so incredible. Yeah, our listeners are awesome, man. I would, like, very verklempt. You guys were the best. Oh, man. And totally, totally related to this idea that, like, I don't know, giving is powerful and women giving is powerful. I'm sure there were some men who gave in there and thanks to you too, but... <laughs> Dude, there was one. He tweeted at us, and I got so excited about him. Oh, love it. Shout out to that dude. So, I don't know. It was so inspiring to be part of giving this large chunk of money to one organization. We talked to our friend Ruth Ann Harnish of the Harnish Foundation about sort of everyday philanthropy or, like, what it means to to be giving of yourself and your time and your money in an ongoing way. Ruthann, thanks so much for joining us today. We were really excited to talk to you about a couple of things. Well, I'm excited to be with you. I love this. And I'm sorry, I have no period. So I can't talk periods with you. <laughs> I would like to think that, that we, we're happy to talk about other things and appeal to uh, women and people who don't have periods too. So I think that's 100% fine. Exactly. I'm so glad. You know, the first thing I want to talk to you about is the Harnish Foundation that you started, which is this amazing projects. I love the tagline, Creative, Progressive, Spirited Philanthropy since 1998. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about the, about the foundation and how it started and the work that you do there? Well, I used to be a journalist. I used to be a radio talk show host and a television news anchor. 
And back in the days of media collapse and consolidation, the last employer I had was purchased and closed by a competitor. And I found myself out of work essentially for the first time since I was 15 years of age. But since I had had the good fortune to marry a man with a, you'll pardon the expression, good fortune, (laughs) he was (laughs) kind enough to be generous with me. And the investments he made on my behalf gave me enough what his sister calls extra money to be able to share. So when I had no other paying job, I became a full-time foundation executive. I've been so fortunate yet again that the assets have grown through the years so that I I believe my first year's budget was $50,000. And we've now given over $10 million worth of grants since the founding in 1998. And we grew from being focused on nothing in particular except helping people live better lives to now a rather narrow focus on gender and racial equity and justice and advancing inclusion and dignity for all in the world. I have to say that both of us as, um, you know, women who are involved in media and working on media, um, so many of the projects you do seem to have, or the things that you fund directly affect work that I care about, women that I know, (laughs) projects that I'm involved in. I think the same is true for you, Amina, right? Yeah, it's, you know, I was with Ruth Ann at Sundance last year, ran into her, and I had just come out of a screening of The Hunting Ground, which is an incredible movie about sexual violence on college campus and was such a mess. I had been crying all day and everybody in that, and I, you know, I, and I know people who were involved in making the movie and also it just brought back like all of this campus experience. And, and I remember seeing you that day, Ruthann, and being like, yes, this is the power woman who funds all of these things and exposes systemic failures everywhere. And I remember that like carrying me through the day. Well, you know, it probably was the most meaningful investment I made of my, not just dollars, but my time and frankly, my emotions, the personal involvement. Philanthropy is a profession, just like reporting was a profession, being a radio talk show host, a TV talk show host, an anchor person, a reporter. Those things are professions, and you're supposed to be able to leave a certain amount of that at the office door when you go home just for self-care purposes. But every now and then, somebody you're working with gets under your skin and into your head for a little bit longer. And the hunting ground allowed me as a sponsor of screenings. I didn't just contribute to the making of the movie and the social outreach of the movie. I sponsored several theatrical screenings and one in particular that comes to mind was on the campus of Middle Tennessee State University. My longtime colleague from Nashville Media, now a dean at MTSU, Beverly Keel, helped arrange this. 
two of the young women who are featured in the movie, who, whose organization End Rape on Campus, Andrea Pino and Annie Clark, came along to be on the extensive panel discussion that followed the screening. And as happens every time there is a screening, people came up afterward, lined up, or stood up in the Q&A and identified themselves. I believe at that screening there were at least five, maybe six, women who stood up and said, this is my story, this happened to me. One of them was probably in her 60s. Another was in her Another was in her 40s, and she said that it had happened to her on that very campus and that she was back as a student in school for the first time since the assault, that it took her 20-some years to get the courage to come back to finish her degree. And there were a couple in their 20s, and one young woman stood up and said, it happened to me on this campus last week. And Andrea and Annie do not leave until every person who wants a hug and wants to talk to them gets a chance to be there in person, face-to-face with the two of them, to tell their story and to find out what to do next. It's the most moving thing. One simply doesn't do one of those screenings without somebody disclosing. At its premiere at Sundance, people came up to me whom I knew. I, I would have never imagined that this was their story. But the tears running down their faces and the embraces they gave me and the thanks for making the movie told me it was their story. The scope of the problems that um, your foundation works on, I mean, everything from diversity to something like sexual assault, like these are big, entrenched, ongoing, long-running problems. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you make decisions about like, you know, yes, this is the right moment for this type of action or this sort of project to work on, you know, a problem that is really just so huge. I have long had a sense that there are a few things you can nail in the short term, but the true impact comes from recognizing that we are all part of a long wave. You know, your voices on a podcast representing something fresh and different that would have been unheard of when I was your age. The kind of freedom and opportunity you have to say what you want without censorship and to find your audience and those who are empowered by your voices. This is a new era. And so I invest in what Shonda Rhimes refers to as normalizing media, and those who make it, those whose stories are told, those who are at the helm of projects, those who get to greenlight projects, those who get to pay for projects. We can't be what we can't see, says Gina Davis of the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, and she's asked for something as simple as directors making 50% of their crowd scenes female, and of course adding 
as diverse as possible. But right now, women are only, I believe her stats are 17% of crowd scenes. How crazy is that? There's just no excuse. Yeah, there's never, there's no excuse. That's the way to put it. So I do what I can right now investing in specific films that I hope will provoke dialogue and move legislation where necessary and change hearts and minds where hoped for. Investing in the careers of specific filmmakers. For example, Ava DuVernay's company is available for little gifts and investments. I found that on a, a, a Christmas gift list, I think it was, on the route. I had no idea I could put money into <laughs> what she's doing. But I did immediately, as soon as I knew that that was a great Christmas gift to myself and the world. You know? <laughs> invest in the new voices. I invest in the Female Filmmakers Initiative through the Sundance Institute, where female directors and producers get a year's worth of mentorship, coaching, and support for their next efforts. Invest in the long term. These people, we hope, will have a career that will span a half century. And invest in the short term in those things that will be opening soon in a theater near you. If, if, if everything is sort of building on the next thing, um, do you have some goals for 2016 or thoughts about how the work that you did last year or in recent years, is, is you're, gonna, you're going to focus on building that? Well, I have some future announcements that I'm not at liberty to spill the beans right now because those announcements will have to wait till Sundance, but there are some new initiatives coming that I'm really pleased to be a part of. Maybe you read about that super secret meeting of Hollywood executives that convened under the auspices of Women in Film and the Sundance Institute. There were a few mainstream articles that reported on that. Well, I can tell you that, that some of my 2016 gifting is going directly to the implementation of some of the productive suggestions that came out of that started out secret but turned out not to be secret Hollywood meeting. And Carrie Putnam, who is the executive director of Sundance, is also a lady who has really been really helpful in this space and somebody who promotes women's voices and, you know, always pushes for that next thing forward. So that's really exciting knowing that you will be working with them again. Well, you know, I'm one of those donors who gets called by the research firms doing the feasibility study on nonprofits that got some of my money and they want a lot more of my money. So they research how much of your money might you be willing to give to XYZ projects in the future. And when I got contacted on the Sundance feasibility study, I let the researcher know, I invest in Carrie Putnam's leadership. I'm investing in her vision of inclusion, her hiring of people like Myra Griffin to bring new vision and new voices to her unwavering commitment to advancing women before the camera, behind the camera, and and writing the checks. 
it's her leadership that I'm investing in. I have tremendous confidence in what she wants to accomplish and the way she goes about it. Her resume is flawless and her vision is something I can truly buy into. So I think, you know, when it comes to our girlfriends, <laughs> it's really important that when you can, you let people know that investing in women is good business. Yeah, that's amazing. Also, her resume as flawless is the best compliment anybody can get on Call Your Girlfriend. So thank you for saying that. And yeah, you know, she's just, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. I have more of a practical question too. What would you say to kind of this next generation of women who want to be philanthropist and what we should have our goal set on? And, you know, like, what are ways that we can get started in kind of this arena also and because this is a new realization for me i i was never it's really interesting i've worked around philanthropy for a long time and never thought that i could be one and the more annoyed and outraged i get at issues all i can think of is oh i want to have a lot of money to deal with these problems one day <laughs> this is literally well, this has become a driving force for me i guarantee you you are already a philanthropist it's not the size or the dollar amount of what it is you are contributing to make the world a better place as you envision it. Philanthropy is fancy language for love of humanity. And everybody has something that they care passionately about, whether it's a, health cause that took the lives of a loved one or whether it's a social justice cause or whether it's the school they went to or the church they attend or you name it. People have their passionate causes and whatever those causes are, you can be doing something to choose and support somebody doing something to envision your idea of what it looks like to deal with that situation. Uh, and I hate when people say, well, I want to start my own because there are so many out there that need support already. Somebody's probably doing what you would like to see accomplished in this world. And it can be volunteering your time. In your case, mentioning them on your podcast or talking them up somewhere is valuable support because you're a brand name and a trusted resource. So just being a friend to a nonprofit is being a philanthropist. Anybody can start as small as they like or join in a giving circle. Figure out how much it is you can afford to kick into something every month. Get together with your girlfriends and pick something. There's an organization called 100 Plus Women Who Care. And I think it's once a quarter, the chapter I belong to, they get together. Three nonprofits have been nominated by members. They make their pitches. And everybody who comes writes a $100 check to the winning organization. And sometimes people write checks to the others too. But at the Nashville chapter, they can get as much as $10,000 in one night just by women 
giving $100 in concert to something. There's no limit to our imagination when it comes to how we can make a difference about the causes we care about. That's a great, a great reminder. <laughs> you know, there's, I would point you to our Awesome Without Borders project for some big ideas. Our Awesome Without Borders project gives $1,000, no strings attached, every week to something that advances the causes of awesomeness in the world. It doesn't have to be a 501c3, a, a registered charity. It could be just a project you're trying to accomplish that $1,000 would make a big difference and would be awesome. So we yeah, have- you know, our, um, our pal, Lauren Ellen McCann in DC recreated the, um, the Alley of Doom a couple of blocks away from me in DC. And that was a grant from the Awesome Foundation. And we had so much fun doing it. Well, there you go. Our chapter does once a week. Most chapters do once a month. And I would just love to have some applications from your audience because I know they're up to awesome things. That's amazing. Well, Ruthann, thank you so, 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 so much for taking time out to talk to us. Now all I can think of is what I can apply for for an awesome grant, and I hope our listeners are also all on top of it. You know, seeing the way that you really just mentor women and make room and space for them at just every level is something that for me is really important and I know has been source of constant inspiration. So thank you. That is how we're going to accomplish things, empowering as many of us as possible. Everybody's got a contribution to make. Everybody's got endless gifts to share. And tapping that untapped capacity empowers all of us exponentially. And and there's just no downside to it. Well, thanks so much. We really, uh, we, we really appreciate all the work you're doing and hope everyone is furiously Googling uh, all of these foundations and opportunities right now. <laughs> Big hug, girlfriends. That was awesome, right? Like, she's so inspirational and, you know, like, like generous, like the true meaning of the word generous <laughs> um, really comes to mind here and how she spends her time and her money and... I'm really excited that we all got to get a little bit of that. I also, I feel like we're just like laying a foundation of the strongest lady vibes. Like that's, that's what Ruth Ann is. Like that's how I want to feel the whole year. Yeah, that's how I want to feel the whole year. She like really has just like set the tone for like how I want to dominate all year. Mm, yes. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download our show on the Acast app or on iTunes, where we'd love it if you left us a review. We also have a brand new newsletter, which we will start sending at the end of this month. It's called The Bleed, and you can sign up at callyourgirlfriend.com backslash The Bleed. The Bleed! Uh, Every month. Uh, you can also tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. If you want to see our faces IRL, we're doing a live event in San Francisco on February 19th at the SFJCC. You can find info about that on our website. 
And lastly, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck. Gina Delbeck. I'll see you on the internet, boo. See you on the internet. 